Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Amy Shira Title, a space flight historian, one of very few academically trained women in this field. She's an author and public speaker and mastering YouTube these days for some virtual book tours. But that's jumping ahead. Amy's new book and our focus this morning is Fighting for Space, about two female pilots with a fascinating history that we really know so little about, but owe to ourselves to be educated about. So today we find out more and then we have the time to get reading and learning. Amy Shira Title, good morning. It is so great to connect with you this morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome, and thank you also for your writing in this wonderful new book, Fighting for Space, Two Pilots and Their Historic Battle for Female Spaceflight. Fascinating, fascinating work. So then the question arises, like, what is it about you, your history, your background, Amy, that really had you delving into the histories of these two great pilots and writing about them? Well, my history, my background with this, I'm a spaceflight historian. I'm an historian by training, but I've always been fascinated with the Apollo era of spaceflight because it's incredible and amazing. And inevitably, when you read a lot about Apollo era, you come across the story of Jerry Cobb and the so-called Mercury 13. The typical story is, you know, Jerry does the astronaut testing and she should have been picked for spaceflight and she takes on NASA in this congressional subcommittee hearing, but it's, you know, a product of the times and blatant sexism. She's not able to fly and it's a huge loss for America. So I knew the story, but it never totally worked for me because of what I know about NASA's history and the congressional hearing coincides with NASA making what is called the mode decision or how to go to the moon, which is the biggest decision of the Apollo program. This was the decision to keep the service module with the heavy gas in orbit with the command module and descend with the lunar landing. Um, And I knew that was a big, a huge decision for NASA. And I knew that it was giving all its resources to that. So I couldn't figure out why people in retelling the story of Jerry Cobb would give her equal weight to the decision of how to go to the moon. So it felt like the NASA context was really missing for me, and that was really my jumping-off point. And then the other sticking point I had was the retelling of Jackie. She's very one-dimensional, Jackie Cochran in the story, usually. She's, she's just the villain, like a Disney villain with no backstory. She comes in, testifies in this congressional hearing against women in space, and then goes home to hang out with her pet raven. And I thought, there's no way that the most decorated pilot of the 20th century has no further bearing on the story aside from being this villain. So I started looking more at the NASA angle and at Jackie and realized that everything has been kind of wrong before and that it's really Jackie's story. Everyone fits into her timeline and that with the context, it becomes much more, much more realistic. And she I'd never heard of her before. Actually, quite honestly, I I didn't even know Jerry Cobb as as a personality. Probably because I just never really looked that deeply into into spaceflight. So these two women are phenomenal personalities, characters, so driven and and so intelligent. I, 
it's just amazing. And so I'm grateful that you have really <laughs> done all that research because it took you years to research the yeah. history, right? Yeah, it did. It was uh, about, about three years of research. And um, I mean, I'll say I, I knew very little about Jackie when I started writing. I kind of I kind of knew who she was. I'd heard this name. I've always been kind of more on the the, uh, the space side than the aviation side of things. We're talking about the old things in the air. <laughs> um, but as soon as I started reading about her, I was immediately fascinated and wondered why I haven't heard of her. And I, I think it's, you know, she kind of faded from popular consciousness because she, she did die a long time ago. It, she died in 1980. And she didn't die under mysterious circumstances like her good friend Amelia Earhart. She didn't die wealthy with a, a fund set up to perpetuate her name. She kind of died she died poor and alone, and I think her, that that contributed to her not really having much of a legacy. So I was so excited to be able to dig in, and really, I tried, and I hope I did, bring her back in a way that will keep her alive in people's memories because she's such a phenomenal character. And and with with Jerry, I think she's she's someone that you know if you know space because the story gets picked up fairly regularly in the media. Someone someone reads about it and thinks, why does no one know about this, writes about it. It's always that same feminist epic story. And I was really pleased to be able to give her a dose of reality as well. Um, and a, a lot of it came from, from Jackie, actually, because Jackie kept every letter that she ever sent or was sent. And uh, I have copies of a lot of it now. And everything I could find that mentions even mentions Jerry Cobb I, I grabbed it so I have I have a lot of insight into these women from themselves and each other which is nice yes because it really gives us this I'm going to say fleshed out personality it's, they're like real people that you feel that you are walking hand in hand with even though it's obviously we didn't because you know looking at Jackie she was born in 1906 so you know thinking back to that time and thinking well uh, when you share with us her her early story her childhood and you know her her tenacity that came from that uh, to in that era, it's just amazing for her to become the woman that she did and that she flew and how she got there. Yeah, she. I mean, she has such an amazing backstory. That was my probably my favorite, one of my favorite things to dig into, just because I'm an archive nerd and I love finding those things. I was actually able to find her um, through a very nice clerk in uh, I think Montgomery, Georgia. I was able to actually find her divorce records from 1926. So I have a copy of that, which is pretty, it's incomplete, unfortunately, because some things have been lost. But, um, you know, a nearly 100-year-old document, I have a copy of it so that I could make sure I, I had whatever details I could extrapolate from that. But, um, you know, thankfully, both Jackie and Jerry wrote wrote memoirs. And, you know, memoirs are self-serving. And in both of their cases, they were written with an agenda. For Jackie, it was her bid for Congress in 1956. For Jerry, it was trying to plead her case to go into space in 1963. So both of these stories, you kind of have to take them with a grain of salt, but it gives a really interesting jumping off point for the personal experiences and kind of how they felt about certain things. Um, and then I was able to couple that a lot with, I mean, in the case of Jackie, she had diary entries and letters and everything is all in the Eisenhower library because she was just friends with Eisenhower, like, like <laughs> you are. Um, 
you know, be, being able to kind of match what she was writing in her memoir with letters or with memos, you know, official documents that came from her wartime service or her flight records that had to be ratified. You know, all of that is a record. Um, and oftentimes I thought when she and, and Jerry overlap, you know, they overlap, for example, in, in 1959, Jerry flies a record at an event that Jackie puts on. Jackie's the absence of Jackie talking about Jerry's flight record in all of her files about this event that said as much to me as if there had been a record of Jerry's flight in Jackie's files so there's there's a lot to be gained from the way they do or do not talk about each other throughout their lives because they do cross in more than just the space flight element and it's this life that is so fascinating, uh, you know, wa- walking with Jackie through the various experiences. I mean, she was definitely driven, and yet there was kind of a naturalness to it, like you're saying, being friends with uh, Eisenhower, but she was friends with Lyndon Johnson. Uh, you know, to have that kind of just natural movement and just access to these people and and Amelia Earhart being best friends with her. I know that was one I did. I did not know before I started reading Jackie's memoirs. I was sort of reading this thing and thinking, this is insane. (laughs) How, how do we all know about Amelia? And we don't know about you at all. And, um, you know, I was so, I, I kind of, I kept having these feelings of like, I mean, Jackie invented everything down to her name. Um, not, not to give away the spoiler to anybody listening, but she was born Bessie Pittman and she created Jackie Cochran. And even that story was, is insane. Um, you know, before she was in her twenties, her life was wild. Um, I just thought, you know, okay, she invented her name. How much do we have to assume she invented in everything else? And being able to find little pieces of the story to, collaborate or corroborate her her story she's just wild i mean i i write at one point that she and amelia took that uh, electric flight across the country before but not long after they'd met um and it cemented their friendship and I, I actually have the book that amelia inscribed to jackie so i know it was a real thing that happened and that it was a strong friendship because i have this artifact of it um you know, the story of, of her and Floyd having a discussion about whether or not she should make the round-the-world flight in 1937, you know, two months before she disappears. I thought, this is a weird thing that happened, and then I found the picture of them digging the car, the stuck car, out of the mud <laughs> right after that conversation in the archives. And, yeah, thankfully, even the picture archives I was able to go through helped bring a lot of that stuff to life, you know, I have pictures of Chuck Yeager without a shirt on sighting Jackie on a speed run. So I, I know that, you know, painting the picture, I know who was there and I know what they were wearing. And it's, it's those details that I think allowed me to bring it to life, like you said, and allow you to walk with these women instead of just reading about them. Oh, I really tried to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel you really succeeded. Oh, <laughs> it, it is just so intriguing. It It is one of these books that's a real page turner because you want to know what's happening next. And and the way you've woven it uh, through time, I, I really appreciate that kind of story. It's like, you know, we're, we're living it as they're living it. Yeah, well, thank you. I tried. Um, I think what's so interesting about this story and dealing with Jackie and Jerry is they're they're both somewhat known women. You know, some people will know, will have some experience of them, even if you're just recognizing the name or you've heard a little bit about the Mercury 13 stuff or you've heard about, you know, 
the women flying in the Second World War. You have, I think everybody coming to this has some anchor points for the story, but more broadly speaking, you know, we all know what the Second World War was. We all know what breaking the sound barrier is, sort of. Um, I tried to use these kind of common anchor points and pepper in, you know, LBJ and Eisenhower so that we have these common reference points. So that as you're reading it, it gives you these anchors in history. So you're not, I'm not, you know, you're not relying on this all new information. You have this thing of, oh, yes, this I know. So now I know we're in 1948. Oh, right. Okay. We're here. We're in 1952 because you have those moments that, you know, and I, I wanted it to kind of anchor the reader, but also show you just how, how involved these women were in real history, that it's not this thing that's happening other. It's not outside, you know, while America is doing this, this woman over here is doing something totally unrelated. I wanted to show you just how, how intricately woven their lives were with the things that you know about. And really to get an, a, a strong understanding of women's roles prior to that, during the 20s, uh, during the war, after the war. You know, some of this uh, we have a sense of, but the way that you really share it, it, it grounds it and is important for, I think, especially a younger generation of women to see this history and know what has gone on. Yeah, and I think it's, I think part of the, the rationale for me there, too, is that it's so easy to look at a story about women trying to break barriers and being unsuccessful at it and look at it from a modern standpoint and say what it is, say that it's sexism, say that it's this. And that, I, you know, it's, it's completely anachronistic. You, you can't take a story about women breaking barriers out of the framework of what the role of women was at the time. And so often I see kind of modern lens, those, those stories through modern lenses. And I think it does a bit of a disservice to to the women to kind of it almost downplays what they were up against in the early 1960s i mean this is this is before the second wave of feminism right um it downplays that but it also kind of gives you a skewed understanding of how hard it was so i really wanted to give you you know along with the historical anchor points kind of keep you grounded in what the role of women in society was what it meant to be a feminist which was something i'd, I'd honestly never thought about the evolution of the word feminism. Um, it was actually my dad who pointed out, I think it was sexism he pointed out, was not even coined as a term until 1965. And my book takes place before that. And I realized like, oh, right, we've, we've attributed this modern terminology even to this story that we can't really do because it didn't exist as a term in that time frame. So I tried even with language to keep it grounded in the terminology of the era to give you a sense of really what was happening and what they were up against and, and not give you kind of modern tools to view it. Because I think that's so important for the understanding of the reader, but also understanding as a, as a history lesson. And so there is even the greater value because of really being able to live in the time and that you're so dedicated to making that the actual experience. Yeah, that's a, that's a product of me just loving history, I think. <laughs> I just I love when a book can personally take me into a story, even if it's not very old. Um, I love when you let me experience it as though I don't know the answer because, you know, it's history. You can look up what happens. You probably know what's going to happen. 
But if I if you if I forget that for a minute and get drawn to the story, I appreciate that, and I really wanted to do that because so many elements of the story, you know, you know, JFK is assassinated, you know, LBJ wins the Senate race, you know, certain elements, but I didn't want to give, I didn't want to treat it as a given and ruin the experience of Jackie saving LBJ's life in that Senate race because just because you know part of the story. I didn't want to ruin the rest of it. Right. <laughs> um, so I had a, I had a lot of fun kind of teasing that out and trying to trying to really keep it grounded in history. And I mean, really, that's that's just that's a thing that I I love when writers do that. <laughs> and yeah. I really wanted to do that. <laughs> and you do a, a lot of it in this book. It, is the way these nuggets I'm, pop up and you think, oh my goodness that happened it it's just really so captivating and it well that's the page turner part of it as well (laughs) thank you i mean it helps too that jackie knew everybody i mean i get to drop in howard hughes (laughs) because they were just friends um i think my my favorite little thing that i i had to put in and it has no bearing on the book at all is the picture of jackie with cary grant because i just love cary grant and just the fact that they she she knew him because her husband i feel i should mention that floyd um floyd odlum jackie's husband was one of the 10 richest men in america he was he was up there you know with the robber barons the carnegies the mellons the schwabs he was on that level of wealth and at one point owned rko pictures which their friend howard hughes then bought so that's how jackie ends up knowing you know they knew the disney's it was because of jackie and floyd that eisenhower had the first ever disney ad for his campaign you know it's it's those those little intersections of history we know we know that ad i probably if you know that jingle might have got it in your head right now because i just got it in my own head <laughs> but to know that jack you know jackie had a hand in doing that it's just like how <laughs> so it's really it was fun to find all those little overlaps and tease that out and let it be casual because it was casual for jackie she knew these people and it was it's really interesting it's fun <laughs> And so thinking of Jackie and Floyd, she had no idea of who he was when she had first uh, caught sight of him. But there was something about him that 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 appealed to her and she wanted to meet him. But even in, so, I think that there was probably that piece of it that no doubt appealed to him, that she had no idea who he was. They may have fallen in love regardless. But I, I, I thought that piece of it, that she was just so genuinely herself not trying to impress him that that uh you know probably was what cemented their relationship right at the beginning yeah they have an interesting story so they met um they met at a dinner party in 1932 the the height of prohibition they were still able to get to a private club for cocktails um (laughs) (laughs) right that's that's the level of wealth at the time jackie was just a hairdresser but she was working in the upscale salons where you know, the the women, her clients, did not have to worry about canceling a hair appointment. So she was still able to stay afloat and work in this. She was kind of moving in this upper society circle, as was Floyd, being one of the wealthiest men in the country. And I will, you know, preface this by Jackie's retelling. No one who was there is alive to corroborate her story, but she didn't know who Floyd was, but was drawn to him and and felt comfortable opening up. And she opened up her private ambition of starting her own cosmetics line and Floyd very casually says you know if you want to start a cosmetics company you're going to have to cover more ground than you can in a car you should get your pilot's license and that was what launched Jackie into flying which is wild because you don't just 
start to fly for fun. I mean, it's, it's hard and it's dangerous at the time. In 1932, it was very dangerous, not to mention very expensive. Um, and that launched Jackie on this whole career path as an aviatrix. It wasn't something she grew up with. Um, like you mentioned, she was born in 1906. She was born right after flight was born. And she was born into poverty. It's not like she was surrounded by this new technology. So she, she proved to be a natural aviator and got her, her license in 17 days, which is unheard of by any standards, really. Um, and, you know, she, she also, it's worth mentioning, never dropped that, that interest in launching a cosmetics company, uh, largely with Floyd's financial help. Um, she launched the Jacqueline Cochran Cosmetics Company in 1935. And by the 1950s, it was one of the largest brands in the company. I think it was second only to Estee Lauder, which is still around and, and it is a luxury brand. And Jackie was right up there. And uh, yeah, I think it's so interesting as a, a facet of her personality. She's this this tough as nails woman who's friends with presidents and generals and, and, you know, very much the girl in the boys club in a lot of ways and doing all this stuff, but is also has this luxury cosmetics brand. You know, she's written about in Vogue as much as an aviatrix as she is as a cosmetics maven. And I love that she refused to pick sides of herself, which I think is something that modern women I mean, I know it, it's hugely inspirational to me, and I think it's something that modern women could benefit as a, having a good example of is a woman who didn't want to didn't want to compromise her feminine self to be taken professionally in a male dominant field. In fact, she used it as a as a bargaining chip a lot of times, <laughs> and and she does it so it so well. I mean, it's just so intriguing and, and amazing. There's such great lessons, at least awarenesses that, that mm-hmm. come from this, that, you know, th- this story, Fighting for Space, yes, it, it's certainly all about that, but the personalities of these two women, and, and I think, well, Jackie really, just because of all the this multifacetedness that you're talking about that mm-hmm. really pours forth from the pages, uh, all of that, I, I think, is just something that, that all of us can learn so much from. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I tried to write both women neutrally and allow you to sort of, you know, whether you were more of a Jackie or more of a Jerry type, but I, th- I think it's a little bit clear that I might be a huge Jackie fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, without doubt, both of them made huge contributions, but as you say, uh Jackie Cochran's name does not really bounce off the pages anywhere when you're looking at it, this history of flight. At least I don't think so. She's not. She's there in books about uh, female flyers. She's there usually as uh, the, the leader of the Women's Air Force Service pilots in the Second World War. Um She's there in museums. I mean, now that I'm aware of her, I see her everywhere. <laughs> but she's... She's kind of that, if you don't know to look for her, you wouldn't notice that there's just a plaque with a diploma under it, you know, one of her flight records, or a plaque with a little case with a few articles in it. And you you wouldn't really think about what it is until you know who she is and you know what each of those things are. Um, Actually, this is such a weird detail, but I I mentioned at one point, I have all these pictures of her in this white knit hat with a pom-pom on it. 
And she always wore it before she put on a helmet to fly a record. And I think it was probably a slight vanity thing to protect her hair because taking off a helmet, you would have bad hair. Um, <laughs> and I found that hat in a museum in Palm Springs. And I just thought, if I hadn't known about Jackie and hadn't seen all these pictures of this hat, I would wonder why this is in a museum. <laughs> but you, you start to see it now. But it is. It's, it's so interesting that she's just she's there, but you don't really know who she is because she's not celebrated the same way and and I, I really kind of wanted to, to fix that a little bit I felt like she she deserves so much more recognition than just being the villain in Jerry's story when her story is retold so yeah it was really it was important to me to to, to really kind of do her her legacy justice and so we we get to learn about this incredible personality and in the in the context of that, again, get a, a view of history over over more than a century now yeah. through these <laughs> eyes, which I think, again, is, you know, just something to value and cherish. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think being able to to write so much of this from primary sources, I think, really helped and uh, was really important to me. And, and like you said, bringing it to life and allowing you to experience it through the women themselves not I, I wanted you to experience it through them not through my eyes I tried to to keep my voice uh, in the back as much as possible so that it 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 feels like a story and what you experience with them feels natural and organic instead of me telling you how to feel about something um, again it's just something that I appreciate when a writer can do so I tried <laughs> um, but it's it was really it was fun to me to to draw through all of this history and to show you a side of the Second World War that's not often talked about. Or if it is, if you read about the wasps, it's an article. It's not you know there's there's of course there's books. There's so much to say about that uh, that bathroom, of course. But you know typically the people know a little a little snippet, and I wanted to show you behind not only more of that but behind the scenes of that snippet too, and really you know go through the, the memos and the letters as opposed to the history books to build that that narrative, that part of the narrative, because that's the side that no one really sees. So this being a new book, typically you'd be on a book tour. However, we know that <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that the is, world is falling apart a little bit. <laughs> yeah, the world isn't supporting that sort of thing. Well, yeah. not in the conventional way that we've been accustomed to. Mm -hmm. But you, you know, all of us are adapting, and you have a, a really great way of being able to connect with with the audience, with readers, uh, with people who would de be picking up this book at the bookstore uh, in a way that uh, I, all of us can experience this at the same time and keep getting more of it. And how are you doing that, Amy? Yeah, uh, with all the creativity I can muster. <laughs> um, I, I realized that, uh, you know, instead, uh, typically a book tour is giving the same talk, the same reading in various locations. I can't go to various locations right now. So I figured I will use the location I have, which is my YouTube channel, and give a different talk every week. So it's sort of a book tour a virtual book tour, but instead of touring the country, I am touring the book, um, <laughs> being through the book, not physically touring the book. Um, so what I'm doing every every Thursday at about 1.30 Pacific, I am going live on my YouTube channel. It's The Vintage Space. If you Google The Vintage Space, you'll find me. Um, and every week we discuss, or I discuss, <laughs> uh, one element of the story or one 
character or one thing that I think is either um, unexplored, you know, not, not explored enough in the book because I, you know, at some point you have to stop writing um, something that I think is worth having a more uh, one-off discussion about or something that I think is, you know, related, but, but didn't make it in. And uh, I do a live discussion. It's anywhere between an hour, hour and a half, depending on if, uh, if people ask questions or not. Before that, I put up an article on my blog on Medium, also called The Vintage Space, um, about the topic at hand. So you have a chance to read the article beforehand. You can leave me questions on Medium, on Twitter, on the YouTube uh, community tab page that I post it. Uh, if you are a patron follower, you can leave it there as well. And I absolutely take your questions into consideration um, or on my Facebook page. So I curate them beforehand. I give my talk on the YouTube channel and I try to manage some of the questions that are coming in during the conversation as well, which is very hard. And I'm not very good at that yet. I'm working on it. Um, and then kind of go through your questions in real time and, and try to make it as interactive a discussion as I can. Um, not being able to see or hear my audience. Um, and the, the good thing is that those talks are then archived on my YouTube channel in perpetuity. They, they live there forever now, which is handy. Um, so this week, tomorrow, I'm just finishing up the article now, I'm a little behind this week, but this week we're discussing uh, Jerry Cobb and her big romance with Jack Ford. The, in, in the book, I describe her falling in love with her boss, uh, on one of her first ever flying jobs. She's a ferry pilot in the mid-1950s. She has this, by her description, an epic romance with her boss. And I write in the author's note that there is some evidence that Jack, her her lover at the time, was actually married. But his name was Jack Ford. It's extremely hard to find evidence of anything. And um, at the end of the day, I, I wanted you to feel her romance and her heartbreak more than go into the nitty-gritty of whether or not she was potentially a homewrecker at the time. So this week, we're going to discuss whether or not Jerry was a homewrecker. Um, so it's stuff like that, trying to tease that out. So that's a, a way to kind of get involved, to know more about the behind-the-scenes story. I'm also going to be discussing uh, my research process and showing off some of the documents that I've been able to recover. We will be talking in detail about Jacqueline Cocker and cosmetics because I've actually been collecting ephemera that I can find. I have her makeup compacts, old bottles of hand lotion that I will never open because they just, you know, they smell like everybody's grandmother did in the 80s. I don't know why, but that's the smell. So, you know, going through kind of a lot of those things that, you know, I wouldn't be able to bring necessarily everything to a book tour event. So at least this way I can virtually kind of discuss all of these more interesting facets to me and kind of show off some of the, the things that I've done. So I'm trying to keep it alive and keep momentum and excitement growing uh, with the platform that I have. That's the long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great answer. It's fascinating and a great opportunity for us to make sure we get the book, Fighting for Space. It's so fascinating. And here, an additional opportunity that probably would never have happened except for our current circumstances, to be able to get more of the backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, usually this is the stuff that I would try to do quick YouTube videos about while traveling and being busy. So, you know, being able to sit down and actually just kind of discuss it for an hour and a half is something that I don't normally do and is an opportunity that people don't necessarily have with an author. So I'm trying to figure out and I hope this is, you know, making it something that people will be excited by. And, you know, you see one, everything's linked because it's the Internet. So I can easily direct you to all of the existing videos and articles. So, yeah, I'm hoping to kind of draw you into the story on more ways than just one with this. Well, 
I, for one, with the book Fighting for Space, think that you have done this amazing work. I'm so grateful that you have and that you've spent all this time with us this morning. Thank you, Amy. Shira Title. Thank you so much for having me. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Amy Shira Title and Sunday Morning Magazine with Elise Dickerson. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Simply click on the podcast tab, then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of hope, of being excited by positive changes. Have a week of the same and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.